you have your Bibles this morning, I hope you'll open God's Word or turn it on, whatever you have, to Isaiah chapter 26, the Old Testament book of Isaiah chapter 26. I'd like to see if you will, will agree with this statement. We're not in the parking lot. We don't have our car horns anymore to say amen. But you can still say amen in the sanctuary. Just want to make sure you understood that. There you go. Amen. And so I want to see if you agree with this statement. If there's one thing that's missing in many people's lives today, it is a sense of peace. You agree with that? I saw a headline yesterday that, that said, America is in crisis. During these days of pandemic and days of protest and so much turmoil in our world, peace is in short supply. In fact, I've said to some people recently that I've gotten off social media in the last couple of weeks just because of the hatred and the bitterness that is so prevalent every single day in social media. You know, I got convicted one day uh, Proverbs says, above all else, guard your heart because it's a wellspring of life. And I just had to get off social media because of what it was doing to my heart. I was losing a sense of peace in my own life. To put it bluntly, ladies and gentlemen, we are a broken nation. And if I had told you on January 1, everything that would happen in the first six months of this year, you wouldn't have believed me. You would say, we need to pray for Pastor Keith, he's got issues. The year 2020 is in many ways a lot like the year 739 B.C. You see, back in 739 B.C., there was a man who could see that his nation was in big trouble, the nation of Judah. This man's name was Isaiah. God called him to be a prophet, and his ministry to the country of Judah spanned 50 years. In fact, he ministered so long that he actually ministered during the reign of four different kings. Kind of like Billy Graham. You know how Billy Graham ministered through president after president after president after president. That's the way Isaiah was. One by one, Judah's kings led the nation into political and spiritual decay. Isaiah watched as his nation crumbled before him. He sought to bring the nation back to God before it was too late. He sought to turn the nation back to the God they had abandoned. And Isaiah could foresee a time when God's judgment would fall on Judah. And he also saw a time when God's judgment would fall on the whole world. In fact, he prophesies that there's coming a time, an end-time catastrophe, where God will, will judge the entire world. In fact, we're going to be looking at 26, but go over 24 for a moment. Let me just kind of set the stage for what we're going to be looking at. Isaiah's prophesying now, and now he's not just prophesying that Judah is going to be judged. Now he's talking about the end of time when the whole world will be engulfed in this judgment of God for sin. The Bible says, Isaiah chapter 24, See, the Lord is going to lay waste the earth and devastate it. He will ruin its face and scatter its inhabitants. It will be the same for priests as for people, for master as for servant, for mistress as for maid, for seller as for buyer, for borrower as for lender, for debtor as for creditor. The earth will be completely laid waste and totally plundered. The Lord has spoken this word. Isaiah said there's coming a time in the last days 
the last days that Jesus later spoke about. There's coming a time in the last days when God will finally and forever judge the evil that is in our world. And in the midst of this doom and gloom, Isaiah saw something else that is so unusual. As we read about this devastation of the earth in chapter 24, when we make our way over to chapter 26, there's something totally different. In fact, in chapters 26, the heading on chapter 26, at least in my Bible, says a song of praise. Which you look at that and say, how could there be a song of praise? We're talking about judgment. We're talking about how the world is going to be absolutely devastated. How could there be a song of praise? It's interesting how all this unfolds. Isaiah chapter 26, let's look at verse 1. In that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. Not in the land of America, but in the land of Judah. In that day, in the last days, there will be a song sung in the land of Judah. And here's what the song is. We have a strong city. God makes salvation its walls and ramparts. Open the gates and the righteous nation may enter the nation that keeps faith. Now, we won't get into the details of why there is this song in the midst of catastrophe. But I want you to see something here. Isn't it interesting that there is a song recorded in the midst of this catastrophe? Why a song? I believe it's because sometimes our words just aren't enough. You see, music is an expression of our hearts. You can say, it is well with my soul, but it means so much more when you sing, it is well with my soul, doesn't it? Music is sometimes just an expression of our hearts. Now, this is no ordinary song that will be sung. This is a song of celebration in the midst of crisis. This is a song that is celebrating God who is sovereign over all of the crisis. That God's people in the last days will begin to sing this song about a God who is sovereign over all of the crisis. And what I want to do today is just look at a couple of lines from this song. Verses 3 and 4. I want you to read this with me. Just follow along as I read beginning in verse 3. But keep in mind, these are actual lines from a song that will be sung. Verse 3. You will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever for the Lord. The Lord is the rock eternal. Now I want you to underline, if you have your pen or pencil handy, if you'd like to mark your Bibles, I want you to underline two very important words. The words, perfect peace, perfect peace. You will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. Now let me tell you something, those watching at home and those here in the sanctuary, let let me say something to you. I found this verse about two months ago. Oh, I'm sure I've read it before. I've read through the Bible many times, but... I found this verse in a powerful way about two months ago. You see, about two months ago, and and I'm not sure if that's the exact date, but it's roughly that time frame. 
about two months ago, I was getting pretty anxious about this whole regather thing and, and pandemic and all of that. And what does it mean for our church? And how in the world do we ever go back to church? And trying to plan everything out. And it was a very stressful time. And it still is, in, in many ways, a very stressful time to try to lead a church during days of pandemic. But I'll just confess to you, my attitude during that time was not very good. I was irritable. I know you find that hard to believe, but I was. I was irritable. Lisa doesn't find that hard to believe, but you do. I was irritable, I was worried, I was frustrated, sometimes I was angry because it just seemed like every time I tried to make a plan about the pandemic and regather that, that there'd be another announcement on TV and everything would be thrown out the window and just had to tear that one up and start over and I was just so at my wit's end. And then one day the Lord brought this verse into my life and it changed my perspective. And because I began to see things differently, I began to live differently. That's what this whole series has been, perspective. Seeing things differently so that you can live differently. And that happened for me. I began to see things differently, and I began to live differently. Now, I still don't have it down perfect. I I still have days when I have to remind myself of what I'm going to tell you today. But today I want to share with you what I'm learning, not what I have learned, but what I'm learning about perfect peace. Let me ask you a question. If I were to ask you if you believe in God, do you believe in God? I would probably guess that most of you, if not all of you, would say, yes, absolutely. I definitely believe in God. If I were to ask you, do you know God? Probably a large percentage of you would say, yes, I do. Wish I knew him better, but but I know him. If I were to ask you, do you have a deep, consistent sense of peace? I suspect suspect some of you, maybe many of you, would say, I'm honest, no, I don't. You see, the difficulty for many of us is that there is a discrepancy between what we believe and how we live. I want to say that one more time. The difficulty for many of us, there is a discrepancy between what we believe and how we live. You may be absolutely certain that you're going to heaven after you die, and yet have problems trusting God tomorrow. You you may have absolute peace that you're going to go spend forever with God in heaven and have a hard time getting through tomorrow with a sense of peace. So let me tell you about perfect peace. I hope you've got your notebooks ready. I hope you've got something to write down with. I want to tell you some things about perfect peace. First of all, the word peace that you see there in verse 3 is an interesting word. It is the Hebrew word shalom. If you were to go to Israel with us on any of our trips, you'll hear that word every day. Every time the, our tour guide would get on the bus, shalom, shalom. If you see people out in the marketplace, shalom. The word means, shalom means complete or whole. Complete or whole. Sometimes we think of peace as the absence of conflict. That is a very shallow definition of peace, when you see peace merely as the absence of conflict. The biblical concept of shalom means to take something that is broken and restore it to something that is complete. To take something that is missing and restore it to something that is whole. So peace carries the idea of unity, it carries the idea of completeness, it carries the idea of rest, it carries the idea of security. Now, 
Looking back at verse 3, I want you to see another word. What is the word, for those here in the sanctuary, what is the word before the word peace in your translation? Perfect. Perfect peace. Yeah, and I hope you have your notebooks ready. But in the Hebrew text, the word perfect is not there. The, the actual word, the Hebrew word that you, if you're reading this in the Hebrew Bible, you would see the word shalom, shalom. The word shalom is, is repeated twice. Shalom, shalom. It's kind of like holy, holy in the Bible. It's a superlative in the text. Shalom, shalom. So the text is actually saying, if you were to read it literally, it is actually saying, peace, peace. Look at the text again. You will keep in peace, peace, him whose mind is steadfast. Well, well, pastor, why didn't they just translate it that way? Because you wouldn't understand what that meant. Peace, peace, that doesn't make sense. So the translators say, what does this idea of peace, peace mean? Well, it's perfect peace. God's peace. I like to write it this way. You might want to put it in, in, the, in the corner of your Bible there. It is double peace. Double peace. I want to tell you, the best the world can offer you is temporary peace, but what God offers you is double peace. It is double peace. That is so good. This is a complete peace that comes from God. It's a form of peace that you can't find anywhere else or in anywhere else. There is nobody on the planet who can offer you peace, peace. There's no place you can find it apart from God. Now, this is very significant when we turn to Philippians chapter 4, verse 7. Put your finger there in Isaiah. Go over to the right to the New Testament. Find Philippians chapter 4, verse 7. Philippians chapter 4, verse 7. The Apostle Paul says, well, let's just read verse 6 to get the context. He says in verse 6, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to who? To God. And here's the result, verse 7. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This verse is referring to a double peace. A peace that guards your hearts and a peace that guards your minds. It's the same peace that's referred to in Isaiah 26.3. This peace, peace. This double peace. This double peace is a, in, in the book of Philippians. The Bible says it's from God and it transcends all human understanding. In other words, it is beyond human reasoning because it doesn't come from human sources. Oh, I wish you'd honked your horn there. It is beyond human reasoning because it doesn't come from human human sources. Now, go back to Isaiah 26. Isaiah 26, 3 again. I want you to notice something else about this verse. I want you to look in your text, at least in the NIV. Uh, In the NIV text, what's the very first word in verse 3? You. Who is the you in that text? God. What's the last word in verse 3? You. Notice that this promise begins with God and ends with God. Perfect peace is when we, by faith, get between those two words and we stay there. When we get between those two words and say, this is where I'm going to camp out. This is where I'm going to stay. This is where I'm putting my faith. 
So how do we get this perfect peace? This double peace? How do we get this peace, peace? That only comes from God. Well, there's two things required. Get your notebooks ready. There's two things required according to this text. First of all, it requires a steadfast mind. A steadfast mind. Verse 3 says, you will keep in perfect peace, this double peace, this peace, peace, him whose mind is steadfast. I like the King James translation in this verse. It says, whose mind is stayed on you. You know, when troubles hit, our minds naturally focus on those troubles, don't they? When suffering comes, all we can think about is the pain, and that's natural, and that's normal. It takes a deliberate act of the will to turn away from those problems and to focus our hearts and our minds on God. And yet the Bible says, this is where perspective comes in. That, if, that God will keep you in peace, peace, when you deliberately, intentionally set your mind on Him. That's why this is perspective. You see, steadfast is a deliberate decision that does not change. Steadfast is when I decide to do this and I don't move from this. Let me give you an example from the world of football. Do y'all remember football? Uh, It may just be a memory. I don't know if we'll ever see it again, at least this year. But sometimes in in football, the quarterback may be struggling and he's worried that if if he throws another interception that he's going to get yanked and the guy on the bench is going to replace him. And the coach sometimes will get his, his, his quarterback. So I want to tell you something. You're my quarterback. And you're going to be my quarterback this whole game. And I'm not going to replace you. And in fact, I want to say something else to you. You're my quarterback for the rest of the year. Now get in there and win this game. You know what that is? That's being steadfast. That's deciding what you're going to do and staying with what you decide. Another example is from the... World of marriage. May 21st, 1983. I stood in front of my brother and in front of family and friends and I looked Lisa in the face and said, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, to sickness and in health, till death do us part. And for 37 years, we have been steadfast to that commitment to one another. And Lord willing, we will continue to be steadfast that no matter what the circumstances, no matter what the issues, no matter what we're going through, we've decided ahead of time to be steadfast in our commitment and love to one another. Now, here's what the Bible says, what Isaiah says in Isaiah 26. Look at it again. You, God, you will do this. We won't do it. You will keep in double peace, in perfect peace, him whose mind is steadfast. That Hebrew word for steadfast has the idea of focusing your attention. It, it, it's, it's the idea of riveting your mind on God. Fastening your mind on God. You see, when your mind is fastened on God, you really don't have to worry about what's happening around you because you're trusting in His sovereignty. You're trusting in His goodness. You're trusting in His power. Now, that doesn't mean it's going to happen the way you want it to happen. That doesn't mean that God's going to be your puppet and do everything you want Him to do. But it does mean in the midst of whatever the circumstances are, you can put your mind on God and trust in Him. And when you do, Isaiah says, here's what you'll experience. Peace, peace. A peace that only God can give. A peace that only God can provide. You first of all have to have a mind that's steadfast. But if you want this peace, peace, you also have to have a heart that's filled with trust. That's number two, a heart that's filled with, with trust. 
Look at verse 3. You will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast because. Here's the reason. Because he trusts in you. If you're ever going to have peace, if you're ever going to have peace, peace, it only comes when you put your total trust in the Lord God. You know what I found, church? See if you agree with this. I found that sometimes peace is elusive because we're depending on people to provide what only God can provide. Listen, people were never meant to be your source of security. People were never meant to be your source of peace. And in fact, I'll take it a step further. You were never meant to be your source of security. You were never meant to be your source of peace. You see, there is a limit to what you can do. There is a limit to what you know. There is a limit to what you can control. And this is where God hit me with this verse two months ago. It was as if one night God said, are you trusting in what you can do or are you going to trust in what I can do? Are you going to trust in what you know or are you going to trust in what I know? Are you going to trust in who you are or are you going to trust in who I am? I'm going to tell you something I'm learning. I haven't learned it. I'm learning Peace comes from trusting in God rather than trusting in yourself. It would be a great day in your life when you can say this and mean it. It would be a great day in your life when you can say, I'm not in control and I don't need to be. Well, that's a hard thing to say. I'm not in control. And I don't need to be. Because I know the one who is sovereign. I'm trusting in the one who is sovereign. I'm trusting in the one who can give me peace, peace. Now, if you mark your Bibles, you might want in verse 3, underline or circle that word trust, who trust in you. That word, Hebrew word there means to lean on, to lean on God. Can I ask you just a very practical, personal question? Have you been leaning on God lately? Why have you been so upset if you have? Why have you been so angry if you have? Why have you been so frustrated? Perhaps it's that you're leaning more on you or leaning more on others than you're leaning on God. I think, I'm, I'm trying not to overstate this, but I think I'm learning to lean on God more lately than I perhaps have ever leaned on Him before. I carry with me or if it's not with me, it's on my desk, this three-by-five card that I, I wrote back a couple of months ago. It's worn and tattered. It's got two verses on it. First one is Isaiah 26, 3. You will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. I've, I've memorized that, and I still pull this card out, and I look at it because I have to remind myself, Keith, peace doesn't come from you. Peace doesn't come from the ability to work things out. Peace doesn't come from people that you're leaning on. Peace comes when you lean on God. And then the second verse that I found that's very close to this verse, and I wrote it on my card as well, Psalm 112, verse 7, He will have no fear of bad news. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steadfast. How do, you, how do you explain this guy or this lady? How do you explain the peace that they have in the midst of their problems? Well, here's how you explain it. Their heart is steadfast. Trusting in the Lord. 
Maybe it's time for you to get a little three by five card and put it in your purse or put it in your pocket. Just carry it around. Sometimes when you need it the most, that's where you get perspective. That's where you get perspective. And you know what I found? Here's what I found. God is reliable. He really is. And that's what, this, what Isaiah talks about in Psalm, or, or in Isaiah 26.4. He says, trust in the Lord how long, church? Trust in, verse 4, trust in the Lord how long? Forever. For the Lord, the Lord is the rock eternal. You know the hymn, Rock of Ages? The person who wrote that got the idea from this verse. For the Lord is the rock eternal. For the Lord is the rock of ages. Now, does that mean that all circumstances will turn out the way you want them to? No, not really. Does that mean that you'll you'll always be happy with the outcome of everything that happens? Probably not. The things you may may want to happen may not happen in your time frame. But I want to tell you something. Peace. Peace is still possible. It just requires a steadfast mind. And a heart filled with trust. Do you remember what Jesus said in John 16? John 16, 33. You, you might want to turn there. This will be our last verse. We won't be back into Isaiah anymore. John 16, 33. One of the last things Jesus said to his disciples. John 16, 33. One of the last things he said before his arrest. This is what he says. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. I want you to know this the contrast in this verse. The contrast between in me and in the world. In me there is peace. In the world there is tribulation. In me, there is peace. In the world, there is problems. In me, there is peace. In the world, there is heartbreak. In me, there is peace. In the world, there is crisis. We're not promised a life free of hardship. We are not promised a life free of pain. We are not promised a life where everything goes our way. In fact, just the opposite. Jesus said, when you're living in this broken world, you will experience some awful stuff. But, in me, you can have peace. And it is peace, peace. Now don't miss this. One of the most elusive things in the world is freely available in Jesus Christ. The thing that people long for, the the thing that people so need is found in Jesus Christ. So I've got a question for you. Do you believe God? Yes. Do you know God? A lot of you would say, absolutely. Do you have peace? right now I know how you can get it 
better, I know where you can get it. Shalom, shalom. It's found in God. A steadfast mind and a heart that trusts in Him. Regardless of the circumstances. I'll close with this. There comes a time when there is peace when you can say, you know what? It's just in God's hands. It's in God's hands. Pray about that. Heavenly Father, grateful that you are our source of peace. And if there's anyone here and they don't yet know you as Savior, I pray that today would be that day, this would be the time when they put their faith in you, that this would be the time when they turn their heart to you, that they'd experience peace with God and then the peace of God. We ask you to do what only you can do. And for those that are struggling, for those that are anxious, for those that are worried, for those that are frustrated, point them to the shalom, the one who is peace. And we have a steadfast heart, a steadfast mind. We're going to trust you regardless. We're going to trust you, period. We pray for peace, peace in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you.